Welcome to the Kino Yoga podcast, bringing you the stories of many people who in various ways are attempting to walk the path of yoga. Our intention is to inspire your own practice and commitment to yoga beyond the mat and in all areas of life. We consider this an offering, a service to the community and labour of love. If you feel inclined, any donations are appreciated, just visit our page and click the donate button at www.keenonyoga.co.uk forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. Today's guest on the Kino Yoga podcast is Ajay Tokas. Ajay grew up in a traditional Hindu family where he was exposed to the yoga scriptures and also wandering sadhus from a young age. So he was inspired to take up yoga from a um, very early age and finally arrived at practicing Ashtanga yoga uh, quite late in his uh, development with yoga. He'd been practicing Hatha yoga in Delhi. He's a native city in India for many years before in 2010, uh, arriving in Mysore to study with Shirachi Joyce. Um, quickly making his way through the series. I think he's currently practicing halfway through the fourth series. So he's a very advanced practitioner and one that I've had the pleasure or displeasure of practicing next to many times. Previously teaching in Delhi, he's now residing in Siberia with his wife Olga and their young son and he travels and teaches internationally. Welcome to the Kino Yoga Podcast, Ajay. Thank you, Uncle <laughs> <laughs> what, what um what got you into yoga? Can you just tell us your background and your experience of yoga? How you started? So, I mean, it's it's all started with my family. Uh, where I, I mean, a lot of people who know about me is um, I have a strong impression from my mother because she was reading out the stories to us uh, when we were kids about yogis and then during the traveling. Uh, in India, in the pilgrimages with my parents, with my grandparents, I always saw yogis standing, doing uh, one leg balance and some of the different distorted yoga postures, uh, which we right. see. In the- you saw that in your childhood. Yeah, I saw that. I right. saw that. Right. Yes, and that that left the image in my mind as a child that I wanted to mm. seek or I wanted to pursue more about it. Mm. When I grew up, I was while growing up, I was going through books and I like stories from Bhagavad Gita or stories from Ramayana or different stories or listening about yogis. So I I think I was around 18 that I started to develop a breathing problem that one of the bone in my nostrils started to grow and I had difficulty in breathing and I whenever the weather was changing. So long story short that I developed uh, sinusitis and then to seek uh, the remedy that that time I had no information about that it can be cured with yoga. So I didn't right. meet. And then I had to go for an operation. Uh, it's, it was around 2000. And then in 2001, I had a similar issue again. But since, because of that problem, I start to seek out an alternate method through which I can mm-hmm. read my. And then I started to find more information. That's how I learned about Neti. And then Neti started working on my problem that I got uh-huh. that that I can breathe easy, breathe freely, breathe deeper. And this is how I start to explore more and more. That's how I stepped into yoga around, say, uh, 1998, I started to look out for more options. Yeah. And that was Hatha yoga? Yeah, <laughs> that was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was okay. Yeah. And I've gone through different traditions because I went to different schools uh, India is India is a big country, 
and mm. or of uh, like if you if you travel through south you find a different aspect if you travel go to north you find people teaching same but slightly change slightly different things they add or they delete or they add uh, edit something like this so it's like everyone has a view of their own when they look at the mm. same picture something like this did you have a teacher back then i mean because book i mean i've met you and you've only been doing ashtanga for a couple of years but you know um you know whatever that means you you've got quite good at it so i had the understanding that you'd done like hatha yoga for many years before that right yes yes that's true so yeah. I, yeah um for first few years of yoga practice i was i was only exposed to majority of philosophy of philosophical books uh, when i stayed in ashrams so i was going through a lot of reading like the yoga sutras or uh, hatha yoga pradipika and uh, meeting people but when i when in the first 5 6 years i was meeting mainly people who were more into meditative practices so the right. asana very limited so i was when i was learning so the shirshasana is already a big thing so they said if you can hold shirshasana it's one of the advanced postures so right. yeah and so i was always whenever i asked one my first teacher anubji that uh, okay i want to learn and so bakasana when he taught me he said this is a balance i could barely do bakasana i still remember really? yeah. no way <laughs> yeah <laughs> like for 10 seconds and i said okay but that was like a fire that the initiation so i liked and i said no i want to learn more and then i started yeah. to more about more physical part so then i checked the light on yoga uh, book by bk uh-huh. sanger like yeah. a lot of practitioner around the world i saw it uh, in a bookstore one of my friend who is a doctor in us now so he also gave me a lot of information about schools uh, traditional schools in india where they teach yoga uh, so bk sanger school uh, in pune was one then patabi joyce i only heard from him but i was i we had no address no website because that time internet was very limited like it's not that you type google and something comes up mm-hmm. so and then something like this was happening so i was i i had no familiarity with ashtanga before i landed to kpj so i i never learned oh, never you had you didn't know anything about no. it or well, you must have known a bit about it no, you planned your trip there yeah so I the trip in 2010 yeah. i reached and that's how i started the practice and you see but you didn't know the series or you didn't know it, i mean nothing I about it no clue the only thing i saw is the first day when i enter i saw the the posters which are big inside the shala in the old yeah, shala yeah yeah which which they show the series so primary intermediate that's how well, why I, did you decide why why did you decide to go there see i i was after a point of time practicing hatha yoga because i was going to different traditions so i always yeah. see that you go to one place they change the asanas the the sequence is changed another place you go then the sequence is changed so i i kind of at one point of time i ask myself that which school i want to follow like what practice i want to do and then yeah. i was all confused not confused but i was always thinking should i do only back bending today or should i do only the okay yeah today? so something like yeah. this wanted a practice which is uh, at least complete in itself that i don't have to think 
So I don't have yeah. to think about the sequence. I don't have to, okay, I do this, 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 this. Right. So right. Yeah, yeah. I heard. It was all I heard. I never seen the practice in real. You heard that it was a kind of formula that yeah, you yeah. could repeat. Well, um, so when you arrived in Mysore, and you, you know, you do, by that time you'd be doing Hatha Yoga for about yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Uh, right. So you'd already uh, developed a practice. Yeah. Um, and what what were your first reflections about the way that Ashtanga was taught? And obviously, I mean, you're unique. And at the time, I remember probably one of the only Indian practitioners, native practitioners in the Shala there, right? Um, it must have felt a bit strange coming to your own country with a load of uh, people from outside the country uh, practicing this system, you know, which was uh, native to India. But what were your first impressions about this, the whole thing? Yeah, so... So when the first day I went to the Shara, I was asked to come in the evening. And right. that time I was keeping long hair and a different style. And maybe because of my looks, I don't know they felt I'm a Latin American or maybe Brazilian or something. So I was asked to pay a foreign student fee. And then I spoke and I said, I'm, I'm from India. I have all these documents and I wanted to come. So they said, okay, Indian students practice in the evening. Because I was an absolute beginner. They said, do you have a teacher? Have you practiced? I said, no. I have practiced Hatha Yoga, but I do not know the sequence of Ashtanga Yoga. So they said, uh, in the office, that time I did not meet either Sharaji or Saraswati Maji, uh, mother of Sharaji. Mm. So in, when, I, when I went, I started with uh, Saraswati Maji, and then she said, okay, you do Sunnaskar. Hey, come and hail right. the all yeah. this. But, you know, I'm already practicing. So the kind of asanas I did before, they fall into third, fourth, fifth series of Ashtanga. So for me, right. the practice is a piece of cake. So I I, I don't feel anything. So yeah. they, I think they saw this. They saw this at, uh, and now I'm, I think I'm 38 now. So that time I was 28. So you, you also have some kind of thing, oh, you, I, I can do, I can show. So they asked right. me and yeah. I, then I see, I look around, there's nobody. Like, it's only three or four Indians practicing. And I said, what, like, only these people practice Ashtanga? And then I realized that there's a morning class happens and okay. where the majority of the students comes. And there's uh, only these, some locals are coming, which are approved by Sharaji or his personal students or something. But yes, it's, it's kind of a bit of a surprising fact. But later... The more I grew in the practice, I understood that it's no more surprising to me anymore. Uh, I found the reason that Ashtanga is the way it's been taught uh, in this system is very physically demanded. But in India, if you look at the context, yoga originated in India and yoga has different phases. So we do not say that you have to do certain number of physically demanding asana. So there are much easier asanas taught in a much easier way. And mm. when I look at the other schools which are around KPJ, which are not uh, mainly teaching Ashtanga, they're teaching Hatha Yoga, they're teaching Iyengar style, they're full. They're full with Indian students only. The evening classes I've seen like number of Indians going to a small hall and practicing with the teacher who's teaching Hatha Yoga. So it, it made... I mean, it made more sense to me that not everyone is looking to practice a rigorous form of yoga in India. So I think that that's, that helped me to understand that, okay, this is, if I'm seeking it, it doesn't mean that everyone, every Indian has to seek this. So that mm. was. 
How how long were you um in the in the Indian class in the evening before you graduated? Or, I think or, 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 two days. Or, yeah, two days. Two days. <laughs> uh, did you? I mean, did the fact that you were native to India change your relationship with Shirat straight away, or did he treat you differently? Would you say? I think the first time I went, I think uh, as he has seen a lot of students around the world, so but mm, mm. okay. And he only asked me to show some documents because maybe he felt that I I have a different accent in English, I sounded differently. So he said, "Oh, you you bring your documents, whatever proof that you're Indian, your passport, and all that." And then he didn't mention that uh, because when I sent, you know, that time we had to send the application by post. Yeah. So I wrote that I wanted to study with him, and this is what I said, and he said. At that time, he was teaching a level one authorization certificate, something that was going on for people who were practitioners. So he said, no, no, I'm not, uh, you cannot come to my class. I'm teaching this uh, separate people. But uh, when you come in the mornings, I usually watch. So I, all the students are practicing who are practicing with my mother. So you sign up for my mother. And Maji, Saraswati Maji, she said, no, no, you, Ajay, you come in the evening. And I said, I'm, I can wake up early and I've never practiced evenings. Like, so I want to practice in the mornings. Yeah. So I did them and I think they could see that I'm not, I'm not, nothing is holding back. So I can do the practice. I'm not feeling exhausted or something. And then they said, okay, you come. So they gave me time at, I think, 5 a.m., which was fine for me. So I was right. practicing. Yeah. yeah. So third day, actually second, third day, third day, I already finished the primary. When I was with them. <laughs> Three days. Did you feel that Shrat was impressed with you? Because obviously you're well known for having a, you know, an incredible ability with the practice. But um, I always felt that Shrat would kind of tease you and almost hold you back more for that. See, I think he, what a lot of people see now, I do not know. A lot of people felt that when, I mean, that's, this is only outer aspect because we only see so a lot of people see him talking to me or guiding me. Yes, he does. Uh, and he did guide me in specific asanas. And he did give me some details because I was always inquisitive to know more than what I could do. So if I could do, if, if I could improve the asana one more percent just by another uh, way to breathe or he could just... But he gave me tips. What kind of details are of interest? What kind of details... What would he say? Okay, I think there's a mm. there's a sense which a lot of people I think uh, if mm, uh, the so-called people will watch uh, this um, podcast, I hope. So there was this class in 2011 or 12 when we were doing intermediate series, and I was close to the door because that was my spot always. So I was trying to go down and catching my ankles by myself. And I catch and I was swinging my arm around when he was assisting other people. So he saw that and he came up to me and then he started to guide me on how to do it more, uh, I think, more anatomically corrected, which can help my shoulders better. Right. Then he didn't speak in English. So he was speaking in Hindi to me, which for a lot of students, they did not understand what he was saying. But he was... He was not speaking full sentences. He was speaking right. broken form. So he was saying, go down. Now, drop your hands. So it's like small, small words. 
Then he said, right, grab, right. grab your left, now walk up, walk left, stay here, straighten knees. So he was only speaking standing and he was right. not assisting. So this is how I think the, the relationship was already growing deeper for me that as a teacher and a student. So that there is different instances in my suicide classes where I asked and he guided me. But for a lot of people, they could only see him speaking to me, but they would not understand what he would say. Because he would speak most of the time, I think in a sentence, he spoke five words of Hindi and two words of English. So in Why those- Why do you think he chose to speak to you in Hindi? I think uh, that this is for me, I think if, and I always wanted to learn more Kannada, his local language, that which can establish the bond more stronger. Because then uh, there are a lot of things when you explain in your first language, when you translate them, so that many times it lost in translation. So somewhere down even the line. between Hindi and Canada? Even. Yeah. Not only oh, right. in, in Canada to English, or I would say Hindi to English, not everything yeah. is translated as it is. So I think there I felt and I started to try to understand more of the Kannada, try to listen to what, how people were saying. So sometimes I understood, but I think he chose to speak with me in Hindi because he knew I, I hail from North India and I, I understand Hindi better. <laughs> so that was the reason. And but then, I mean, yeah. what I definitely felt with you in, the, you know, in those early years, that you had a very great devotion to as a teacher, as a guru, you know, um, and the tradition of Ashtanga Yoga, you were very meticulous and uh, um, committed to it, let's say. Yeah. I mean, how, uh, you know, you'd found the system of, uh, you know, the, as the complete system of asana, which I think you appreciated, you know, from the kind of nebulous form of Hatha Yoga, yeah, you know, yeah, where yeah. you could make your own practice up, you know. Uh, sure. how, I mean, what, what are your feelings about tradition now? And, uh, and and the guru as a teacher, you know, as a, as in an absolute kind of devoted way that I think you took, Shabbat. Yeah, I think um, there's no doubt that I still respect him the way I did before, the way I do it now, same. All I feel that there's a sudden shift for me has happened. Um, I do not, um, now... I don't have to argue with someone, but I there are a lot of instances when which was happening about the Me Too movement, when a lot of claims were put against Parabi Joyce showing pictures okay. and a lot of uh, women practitioners shared their opinion about uh, the assault or whatever they felt during that uh, era or that period. And uh, then uh, the I think... Sharaji also mentioned about that uh, something on his uh, on an Instagram post where people agreed in favor in against like whatever. I think that's the shift has happened to me that uh, and this ha- this I've seen not only with the KBJ school. I've seen with different schools in India also that it's not always that all Western students understand the behavior of the East that correctly or that that closely because there's all right some western student do not understand it and he has he interprets that meaning by the the way he felt it Mm, a cultural interpretation yeah but i uh, maybe for them it's right maybe it's it's not right to me but maybe for them it's right to weigh and this is how i start to develop more um open thinking or free thinking that 
there's a different approach to everything and everyone has a different approach and not everyone has to agree with your point of view but i don't get into arguments with people because so you were upset about the questioning of the guru in the me too movement yeah, that, that yeah. So I'll say that if, if people are not happy with the behavior of the teacher uh first and foremost they should uh speak they should vocal their thoughts and they should tell the teacher so that he understands that's the first thing second thing if they uh kept taking the wrong behavior that could be in any means i think they also be held responsible for taking and having the injustice done to them because they're not speaking about it but this is a whole story and uh this has happened with indian students also in different ways but mm-hmm. i think when you are very truly devoted what i've seen in india that when you're devoted so there's no question asked to the teacher because mm-hmm. you know that the teacher is doing everything good for you so whether he he may have reacted bad he may have behaved bad he may have not uh, taught you properly but in the end everything comes out in the favor of you as a student and which i have seen in instances so i think that one thing and also uh now for me the shala held a lot of energy the old shala where like all these people went practice and created some kind of vibration which draw people from around the world uh so all this and all the all the number of people growing all these years when we used to go it was like 4 500 students practicing and then Mm. day passes and now i see of course he's a lot more busier uh, he moved to a different place he opens a uh, big place for students who have more access so that people spend less time in the morning he also spends less time at least for his own health so now a lot of opinions uh, i think i i see him of course uh, evolving as a teacher more uh, giving more access to people but i think for me uh, somewhere down the line that evolve uh, that he has evolved so much may not be in favor of a uh, lot of close students in a way that we also lose him as a teacher because then he becomes so popular that he he cannot uh, give that space to everyone mm-hmm. oh there i think i do not say that the connection completely destroys or finishes but it gets loose right that's that's how i feel so maybe i do not um i maybe i do not uh in favor of or do not agree with a teacher's point of view where he thinks that okay so this much last space we need to have for the students but then i think it's it's do we really need that big space and then i ask questions myself that if i would you be told that right mm you felt that the 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 guru shishya relationship the student teacher relationship was diluted too much at that point yeah Or, so i think i mean that was yeah. an important thing for you and it's still an important thing for you, this this relationship with the teacher right the process of learning yoga with the teacher to student relationship this is a very important part of the aspect of learning right yes so i think i feel usually the when we talk about a traditional system it's been right. done 
uh, with a close group. So usually the teachers have a close group of students where he passes on the knowledge. This is what I've read in the stories. This is what I've heard. This is what I see in different schools also. So having said that, in Ashtanga, when we come, and in the old shala which I see, so the number was never so big that a teacher, even in, in the number of 60, 65 students when we were practicing all together, mm. even sometimes I had the question, does he see then what I do? And with that, that was a question in the beginning of my practice from 2010. But the more I practice in that space, I start to feel that he does notice a lot of people who are moving. And he does notice this because he's noticing everyone. And he could remember who's doing what. And this is what I start to feel the bond or the creating of this relationship with the teacher or with the guru in the beginning. Now, all these years that, okay, I, I kept holding on to that bond. And I, I really love the connection. Um, but I think after a while, uh, when you get more deeper into the practice, then we start to ask, or you don't ask, but you start to get initially some questions, uh, which if left unanswered, your practice starts to deviate. It, it doesn't take you towards the right way. Uh, these questions I start to get and I ask him in German. And he was answering. He was, he was always helpful. He was answering. Um, mm. And all these guys, okay, what you should do in asana practice, what you should not do, how asanas can help you to move further in the different limbs, all this. But now I feel that since he's growing more and more, uh, being popular, of course, the hair of the tradition he's holding, and uh, now to a much bigger space where I practice once only. I, in 2019, I right. went and only for a month now i feel that somewhere down the line that's my personal feeling it may may not be the feeling of others but i feel that somewhere down the line um i do not feel that sort of thing there because it's so huge it's like a stadium and i, I haven't been yeah yeah right yeah so yeah I, I, yeah something like that something. understood yeah, yeah yeah where do you where do you um when you mention how like the arsonists can guide you in other limbs what do you mean by that like what would the yeah uh, what would that look like? Yeah. Usually, if we if we talk about the eight limbs of yoga, yeah. So the we start with yama niyama asana pranayama, but many people start to pick pranayama first in some different mm. traditions. But when you cannot sit idle for maybe twenty minutes, for thirty minutes, or forty minutes, how mm. access the benefit of a practice where you cannot sit idle? You cannot sit comfortably. So asanas for sure help you to get uh, better in a posture or open your body so that you can have more access of your organs. Like if you talk about breathing practices where we're working a lot with the lungs, you learn more about the bandhas, how the channels uh, you, can, uh, you can improve your energy with. So this way. Plus asanas, I think uh, for me, asana is also a form of devotion not only the asana practice. So when I'm practicing, it helps me to be more self-centered. By getting self-centered, I understand my weaknesses and my strength. So when I was practicing, inshallah, or I'm practicing uh, by myself in my home, I never felt much difference. 
The only difference, yes, that when I'm practicing my surah, I'm in front of my teacher. And when I'm not practicing my surah, I'm not with my teacher physically. But the asana practice was the same. So I always felt going deeper, uh, getting more um, awareness of my body, of my breath. So this is how the asana took me more beyond the asana practice. So when I sit for meditation or just say for concentration or just um, close my eyes or doing something else, mm. I'm more self-centered that I, I understand where my boundaries are, how I can access my boundaries, how can how I can go beyond the boundaries. So these things yeah. are under, with the asana practice. It's a funny translation of it you're saying because self-centered, we usually um, translate as selfish here, right? You're actually equating self-centeredness to devotion. Yes. Like, could, could you say something more about that, about how devotion is in the practice of centering okay. oneself? Yeah. Usually you would have the idea of giving yourself away. Yeah. So I would say that when we practice asana, so mm. yoga is about knowing the I first. But this I is not the ego. This I is before that ego happens. So that's how mm. I say So when you start an asana, you get to know uh, if you focus more on others and not on yourself, you do not understand how your body behaves. So like I can start relating relating to someone who may be a better practitioner or who may be who have a very beautiful practice, jump back, jump through, whatever you are, I can say in general, who may be more stronger, more flexible. But then I lose the meaning of the yoga practice because this is for I, this is for self. So I need to center my practice on myself. So it needs to fully focus on what I do. Then I start to get to know more about that I, that okay, I as a person, I'm good in this, not good in this. And this is where I start to find more balances between my strength and weaknesses. But if I only become boastful or become more aware of my strengths, then the ego happens faster. If I know and respect my weaknesses and I keep working on both to keep the balance, then I think the practice takes you more further. Mm, mm. So that's how I would uh, get into it. And coming from a traditional background, do you bring in other aspects of the uh, Ashtanga Yoga in terms of uh, the pranayamas and uh, maybe uh, do you do any anything like that outside the practice, the puja, anything? Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, this is in general been taught to us uh, from childhood. Mm. I offer prayers and I, I do the puja. Uh, mm. That's uh, I get ready, take shower. So the puja comes first and then I do the practice. I chant a prayer, different prayer than the Ashtanga one. And then when I'm practicing the Ashtanga, then I chant the Ashtanga prayer. Right, right. Uh, Visiting to post that I've been, I was already uh, exposed to pranayama practice long time back, much before I moved into Ashtanga. So this is also one thing I um, I always being happy about because in Ashtanga I haven't learned any pranayama so far. Maybe I learned after fifth series or something fourth series. I do not know when it comes, but I'm I'm quite happy with the way I was exposed to pranayama because. In the beginning itself, I could sit 30 minutes, 35 minutes. The first time I ever I sat in Lotus, I could sit for 30 minutes without having any pain. So in my first 
uh, years in ashrams, I was always taught to focus on breath. But it was only focusing on breath, nothing else, no pranayama practice. So this was already developed. And then I learned the basic eight pranayamas that they, they explain, the how they explain. And then I went to different schools where I studied more about pranayama. By the time I come to Ashtanga, as in the KPJ school, I already knew um, the pranayama practice, but in a different set in a different way it's been done. And I was told that there's an Ashtanga Pranayama, which they teach you, which uh, Padabi Joyji was teaching people after finishing intermediate or some, some more levels. And this is what, what I always thought that maybe will be taught after, after, after. Hmm. But this is also a question I do not know. <laughs> so, yes, so I do puja, I do Pranayama, and beyond the asana practice, I, I try to read more books and... Uh, have more, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm more devoted not only to yoga practice, that I would say. When you say, when you say you're reading books, is it, it's not yeah. just yoga philosophy, or yeah. it is yoga philosophy? Philosophy, yeah, not only yoga philosophy. Right. Yeah. Do you need the practice to, uh, to practice yoga? Do you need a physical practice to practice yoga? I think I don't agree with the point that you need a physical practice to practice yoga, because right. I only one limb of yoga. It's not full yoga. So there are many yogis in India where you can uh, have access to their biographies, their stories, that you will find that they, they, they were more into devotion, they were more into bhakti yoga, they were more into uh, different forms of yoga, but they never practiced asana. And they were enlightened beings. So I do not see, and this is a, somehow I, I wrote also an article about backbends, where uh, in Ashtanga school, we talk a lot about backbends and put, put it at uh, top priority. That, okay, when you do backbends, it really helps to open up a lot of channels. But I, I really don't agree with the fact. So you don't have the idea that yoga is some kind of kundalini system where you're raising a vibration oh. internally? No. Then the Saka Solil people would have been teaching uh, I see. Mm. To all of enlightenment to all of us rather than we practicing. So I don't think so. Backbends, yes, they you may feel some energy, but it has nothing to do with opening up your channels or mm -hmm. something else. I don't think so. And that's why I wrote an article where I talked about that someone who catches or who doesn't catches the ankles or higher the ankles, uh, to me, more or less, they are same. They are more equivalent, rather than someone is more physically oriented and someone is not. So yeah, I, I kind of remember reading the article. And I thought that well, we kind of almost saying that you you didn't think that catching the ankles was a good thing generally for people. I yeah, I feel because I have I have come across a lot of people. The more I started mm. traveling, two thousand fourteen. Then I started to travel more in Asia, Europe. Mm. Uh, then 2018, I went to US. So I think the more I saw people outside the shala teaching mm. and then traveling and then teaching. So I start to notice that people come from different walks of life. And it's not, it's not physically good for everyone to look out for this option to catch because a lot of people were in pain and... Mm. Personally, taking so why, why do you think there's such an emphasis on, on it in Mysore? Because uh, I think this is where 
the practice ends because this is where the practice stops at backbends. So then you have to complete the practice with a drawback. So when I'm, yes, to some extent, you may do the drawbacks, but I think uh, with my students, I do not focus on everyone should catch or everyone should go very deeper. Yes, I do work with people on different levels of learning the drawbacks. Those who are more physically gifted, we go further. But beyond the drawbacks, I, I really don't work on pushing them more further into a deep backbend, but also not everyone. So if I have 20 students, maybe I work for two. I work with two. Mm, and this mm. I kept and learned more uh, with my travels and teaching abroad. Are you still fully traditional? I mean, do you keep the practice and uh, the sequence perfectly or do you modify for people or do you let people go past if they're struggling with something? Would you allow them to put the knee under for a mitrasana, you know, not do the lotus, this kind of so, thing? How traditional are you these days? I think uh, when I started learning, I had a very narrow approach. That's mm. our okay. So when I started learning, uh, because I was not also traveling and mainly the practice... Uh, from 2010 to 2014, um, I didn't see many people using modification, even in the shala. So the more I travel, this is again same based on travel and teaching experience. The, then I start to come across a lot of people who had issues with knee, uh, some issues with back. And naturally, I kept a time that, okay, I... I let a person work to some extent or to some amount of time on one posture. And in that amount of time, I felt that could be, I have had students who worked on Marichasnadi only for six months in the beginning when I started to teach in Delhi. And there are yeah. many those who still remember me and who are doing really good. And some of them are intermediate, some of them are somewhere else in part of practice. But I think after a while, I start to get more easy in terms of the traditional part based on how a person reacts to it in a way that if someone has an injury, someone has a limitation. So there's a minimum, minimum aspect of asana we need to work with. And beyond that, I move them on. So I do not stick to if someone has an issue with the body that I do not stick. You have to have to do it. So it's better to go through the whole practice and just modify things and... and not for everyone. Take, yeah, right. not for because I have had, example, if I have 10 people, so in those 10 people, I had two students who I allowed to work beyond the Marichasana D, even if they could not do, beyond, uh, I would say, Kurmasana or Subt Kurmasana, because I know they had limitations, physical limitations, which cannot be overlooked. But they were already doing um, their best just by right. attempt posture. Yeah. And you know, you, you mentioned some, some people being more gifted than others. Um, can you train someone to your level just by uh, giving them outside training? Or is it a question of genetics and uh, luck? No, no. I think one of, <laughs> which, uh, one of Olga's teachers say, and yesterday we were having a talk about this, Olga and I, that um, there's a mathematician here who teaches uh, she's really awesome with um, mathematics in college. So she says that uh, there's no one gifted. So it's a 5% gift and 95% hard work. So if I look at my own practice over the period of years, it has evolved a lot. But I know that how much hard work I have 
put into. I did not. So a lot of people, when they see me, they think that Sharadji has taught me jumps or Sharadji has taught me this or shit. And you know, right. and I know many other people would know that how much, how much Sharad, Sharadji emphasis on jump back, jump through or how much he actually teaches you to teach or how much yeah. he actually, So we know. So in, in that scenario, I would say that when I meet someone uh, who I think has the potential to learn what I can really teach, I don't hold myself back. But I also see that beyond what I'm teaching, I, it should also apply to their uh, post-asana practice, not only the asana. So if like in general that they should not be... Um, getting more uh, or getting too fancy about doing fancy stuff. So they should stay calm and um, accept that, okay, they can do, but it's not that they are the only one. Uh, they are like, mm-hmm. so, there are a lot of people. And I always believe that some people say, oh, uh, you're really good with this or that. And, and I always say that I do not think I'm good because I always feel that I can improve more than what I do. And I always feel that there are better practitioners than me. But then yoga teaches us to work with ourselves. So that me as a student, and when I share how I feel as a student to another student who could be a lot better than me and when they're learning with me. So I think to keep their own balance and practice. Mm. That I mean, you used to tell me you used to do bits of training out practice. Do you, do you recommend that to any extra training? I think I, any st- tips? I still do. I still, yeah. yeah, I still do. But I always say that it all depends on your recovery period. Every one of us has uh, now, see, that time when we met, I was single, uh, dating, then got married, have a child now. So I think the more you have responsibilities in life, I do not know how much time you have for yourself to take out. Right. So uh, I'm still teaching a lot of my students online and I tell them some homeworks for evening. But I I do not want them to be only asana-centered, only exercise-centered. Mm-hmm. So I work only maybe 10 to 15 minutes a day because that is more than enough. Because the practice itself working. Someone asked me once, that why do you teach workshops? Why do you teach jump back, jump through separately when you mm-hmm. said that would work? So the practice would work and improve maybe six months, eight months, one year down the line. But if you have some uh, specific tips on to work on asana, maybe it can improve faster. Right. That, that's how, and this is how I say mm-hmm. that if, but that's only you as a person, do you want to work? If you do not want to work, that's the practice will work. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean you, you kind of graduated to teaching uh, over the years now, you know, from like when I met you, I think you just started to do a little bit of teaching. Um, how, is, how is your view as a, uh, as a teacher and how, you know, the, the kind of tips you're giving now, how have evolved and changed as it's, you taught more? It's a lot of change. Because I, I remember that I think I, when we spoke, I still remember in the, in, the, uh, in the balcony, which was facing the school, line school, and you cooked. Yeah, uh, 
Yeah, really and, I, and I think I asked you how to help people to do a jump back or get strength, and you just told yeah. them just lift up for many yeah. breaths. <laughs> yeah, it, it's. I think I've been naive uh, because I tried to teach them the way I learned, but right. then I start to focus more how to break down the skills in more easier level uh, or easier access right. to someone who even cannot do what I can do. So then this is how the teaching starts because then I have to think about someone who has a knee pain, how much he can bend the knee to lift up and how much if someone has a short arms who say, who thinks they have a short arm, how they would work on jump back or how, so this is how I started to keep, kept working on different asanas. But uh, this is how, what is all about, we say teaching or sharing your knowledge. And then when I also observe people when they're practicing, so inside the shala, of course, it's always been an experience because then people come all different shapes, sizes, different parts of the world, uh, ethnic groups. So you can always judge, you can always understand uh, the body types, the good and bad. So I think it's being mm. a role and then uh, breaking down things and then when I start to break down more and more and then I start to feed them in the workshops to students and how um, students improved. So this is all gave me as a feedback that what I'm doing, I'm doing right. So I'm on the right track. Right. Mm-hmm. So how the, and I kept exploring. And I still what's do. Your, yeah. What's your best tip for, uh, for that strength building? I think I, I always believe because uh, yesterday I was sharing with someone that someone said that how you do straight arms because your arms mm. are always right. I think uh, I believe in some of the terms which we, at that time I did not know the terms. Then I started to read a lot more about things. And so some part from gymnastics, we call it straight arms, scapula strength and bent arms, scapula strength. So S-A-S-S-B. That time I was already doing a lot of stuff relates to gymnastics, but I did not know it comes from gymnastics. And later I started to read more about it and how this thing functions. So the way I was doing it, I started to, I mean, it was self-explained to me when I started to engage. And then I found more exercises that which can actually help a student to improve further. So I think there are specific, if you want to improve on something, you have to work differently and this is where the homework comes about that you work 15 minutes on this for a week two weeks three weeks then you start to see some improvement Mm, mm. because you already your body has learned it then you move further then you improve so something like this yeah i mean you touch upon something the idea of uh finding it in correlated in gymnastics the yoga movement when you then read about the gymnastics the the asana is reflected in gymnastics more recently, there's this idea that's been uh, spread by a couple of people that uh, the happy yoga, as we know it, is a synthesis of uh, British uh, gymnastics. What do, you, what do you think about that? I think yoga dates back, uh, I mean, they say 5,000 years, 6,000 years, but it's a lot, lot older. So I do not agree with the fact because if we check the history of gymnastics when it came, and when the asana practice came, so it's a lot different. It could be that the uh, it could be uh, not denying that the gymnast or the teachers of that period they might 
have access or have seen something similar and then which they initiated into gymnastics, which got more popular before yoga. Because if you see gymnast, gymnastics happen more in the West than in the East. Still, mm. we I suppose if I, if I, yeah, if I rephrase the question is, is modern yoga more like gymnastics? And is there a yoga that we're not so aware of that you might have seen, you know, in your younger travels with the studies and stuff that's very different? True. So when I, when I show a move, like this is for my own, my own thing. When I did something, which I only know now, they say LSIT, but I was doing okay. it not know that this is what is LSIT in gymnastics. Right. So, but this is how I lifted and moved. So if someone would see me from gymnast, uh, gymnastic background, he'd say, oh, you're doing LSIT, or you're doing a pike press, or you're doing a V-lift, v or you're doing handstand. So this is how I think the names and people start to relate it to more. And then maybe, but then we talk about facts. So that this is how I would mm. get, that if you... Uh, I'm sure the authors have their own facts. Yeah. But, it but doesn't seem that the old yogis were doing that stuff, right? It doesn't seem that the old yogis were doing that kind of gymnastics. When you see them practice like in the Varanasi and stuff, they're kind everyone. of doing, you know, very crooked. Yeah. But not everyone. Because when I was a kid, I, I did not see people, okay, um, I do not know what move is it when we do Ekapada Shirasana, what move is it in gymnast? I don't see anyone doing it. So gymnast is mainly a sports where mainly fundamental skills are either on the board, when they are flipping, doing something, the hip openers, which is a split, and uh, mainly either on the bars or on the wings. Apart from that, there are not much because it's mainly upper body related sport. So lower body is used, but not much. Um, Similarly, in yoga, there are all kind of asana, working on lower body, upper body, uh, twisting, hip openers, um, I would say a lot of kriyas. So I think somewhere similarities are there, but I think it's, it's, I cannot say, I mean, personally, I am strong point on that, that gymnastics may have come from yoga, but yoga hasn't come from gymnastics. That's my point. But I would not say like it's it's very similar what I see Pilates. Yeah. I read more about Pilates. So the Joseph Pilates, if if I'm right, he took a lot of uh, information from yoga asanas, and uh, he yeah. So he took a lot of information from yoga asanas, and he also I think have some information from gymnastics, and this is how he mixed both. And I think this is some form of he came up with a new practice which which was helping uh, in rehab for a lot of people uh, who are overcoming injuries and uh, mm -hmm. getting them back to strength or getting them back to the, the improving in uh, post-injury so something like that sort of so you think that the gymnastic was a development of the original yoga practice i would not say but it could be see not everything is same as i'm saying so there are Except the handstands, what I see in gymnastics, I think I don't see much. And when you, there are a lot of scriptures which has yoga postures, dates a lot older than the gymnast history. So it's like people start to ask the question that chicken came first or the egg came first. So <laughs> do, you, do you, I mean, do you see 
the system of Hatha Yoga that we're practicing and we know as Ashtanga Yoga, it, does it appear in your mind to be particularly suited to an Indian body? Do you see differences or, between the Indian anatomical approach and uh, a non-Indian approach to the asana system? I mean, I traditionally, think- obviously, the obvious thing is that, that traditionally, not now, but the uh, the hip of the the Indian person sitting on the floor was obviously a lot more open for their lotuses. I mean, this is the most obvious way to get into yeah. this conversation. I, yeah. Not only here, but in, all over in Asia, because the people mm. are more accustomed to sit, squat, move. Mm. The, we did not have the access of uh, the technology or the access of gadgets uh, in the middle class, lower middle class families, and even to some extent in the higher uh, class families. Only it came later in India. So people were more dependent on working by themselves. So just to go somewhere, you have to like either wait for the bus or you start walk or for the bus, you just squat and wait. So I think to a large extent, the Asian bodies, not only Indian bodies, but the Asian bodies uh, were ready for the yoga practices. And that's why you see that the differences in the Asian bodies and the European bodies are the Western bodies. But then you would find that uh, that now, hugely, a lot of people start to change the way they live. Uh, they're adapting, at least for the kids. So they're adapting a lot of different approaches so that the kids can have more mobile joints. By the time they grow up, uh, people start to get into a lot of sports. And it's completely different happening in India. So people start to eat more on the dining tables. Uh, people start right. to eat of English toilets. So this is all changing. And this is what I see when I teach uh, in the local crowd that you, because when I travel, when I uh, give a demo of asanas, people relate very, they say, oh, he's Indian. It's in his blood. It's in his genes because he comes from India. All Indians are flexible, but that's stereotyping because I know how many Indians are flexible. When Olga taught in Delhi, she knew how many Indians are flexible. So this is just, I think I would just, but yes, you don't think that there's a more flexibility uh, and natural flexibility in the Indian body with the heat. Uh, it, and uh, It is still uh, to some extent, but I think uh, it's going down. It's going down right. with the Western approach. Right. And obviously that you mentioned the uh, technological advances, changing, sitting on chairs, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But you also noticed, obviously, what I noticed in my last trips is the diet's changing a lot. Diet is changing from uh, from more uh, to more Western-style diet to more meat-eating diet. Do you think that's yeah. changed the body? Do you think that's changed the uh, you know the mentality? Have you seen a change in, in people from that? For sure, for sure. People have more access to... See, I think pizza is something which, which has reached everywhere in the world, most of the places. But it's not in the Indian diet system. It was never there. There are a lot of more things. So a lot of um, fast food has come into lives of people. Uh, so I think the food plays a big role in times of uh, relates to body. When you talk more about physical aspect of the body. So yes, the food plus also the mental aspect. So if you have a food which is heavier, naturally you'll feel dull, you feel lethargic, you don't want to do something, you feel sleepy, all this. Similar way, if you have a lesser food, and that's why yoga do not talk about what you should eat. Yoga only differentiates if you eat this, this is how you feel. This is what yogis said. And then they say, if you eat this, this is how you would feel. 
So if you're eating a non-veg food, you feel more lethargy because the body takes time to digest it and it stays in your system for a longer time. And this is the talk about the vegetarian food. Um, I was going through a lot of, uh, though I do not relate to it, but I was going through readings of some contortionist where they talk about because they're working so much, several hours of work daily uh, with the body. And many of them mention that they stay off from caffeine, which they also say in yoga that you stay away from stimulants. So any kind of stimulant. Um, plus, they also talked about having a lot of uh, fruits in your diet, a lot of vegetables in your diet, which yoga also talks about because that makes your body uh, more bendy because uh, the muscles get can stretch more. and uh, But naturally, uh, to some form of to some contortionist, they uh, they talk about eating meat to for the strength part, and some I read that they do not uh, because some mm. people talk are vegan or they are uh, vegetarian, something like this. And you're a vegetarian, um, and uh, do you think it's in, do you think it's essential to be a vegetarian for yoga? Uh, sorry, I, I lost the question. Do you think it's essential to be vegetarian for the practice of yoga? I think it's it's not essential, but it's it being vegetarian can be very helpful. But I know people that who eat once in a while, but they're not daily eaters of non-veg. But they eat once in a while, and they mm-hmm. practice to a big extent. Like they are very devoted to yoga practice. So I think the I mean that's again goes person to person. I do believe. But I do not say that you have to agree with me because someone can have a different body, more better results, claiming that he doesn't stick to somewhere, uh, somewhere, some, I'm not mentioning in a wrong way, but I've read in an article somewhere, some yoga practitioner, because I don't call yogi. Uh, so we, we are not yogis. So we are just like yoga practitioners around the world. So one guy wrote that he drinks he smokes and he eats uh, non-veg and he's a yoga practitioner and he's from US. And I only said, good luck to you. So I have no issue what you do. I mean, that's your personal life. And, but that's, and he was talking about that why people talk about food and yoga so much. So, but then what kind of, what kind of uh, practice you would pass on? That's, that's another thing. That's what I would say. So where is yoga going for you, like past the physical then? Like, you know, how does it mean, what does it mean for you? What is the aim of the yoga and what does it mean in your daily life? See, yoga, first of all, for me in my daily life, that yoga do not stays only for the hours I spend on a mat practicing. So it should go beyond. Um, it should follow in your all walks of life. So I try, I, I feel a lot more calm. I don't get agitated or angry or upset so easy. And once in a while, even if I feel, just with the breathing work, I calm myself down before anything happens in against. So this is where yoga always works for me in my daily life. Second, I feel that um, where yoga is going. I think, of course, yoga is going in... If we look back 20 years ago or 15 years ago, 
So yoga hasn't reached to so many countries in such a big population now, which has reached a lot of scholars from India or from the East, people who do not knew before, now they know. So, of course, yoga is working good for the humanity and people are following it. So, for sure, it's the, it's the rising sun and it will always be. However, I personally fully, uh, believe that physical practices or dominated physical practices will not have uh, the same rising sun picture uh, mm. all this because uh, people always look to go beyond the asana practice there's a, if you look out and this is just an example if there are 10 students in the class only two or three or maybe one is really good in the asana practice and nine are kind of average or middle or some kind of slightly higher but not excellent so majority of the people are not excellent in the asana practice and whatever pictures videos movies we see on youtube are of those who who fall into the lesser percentage of the asana practitioners so majority of them look already beyond the asana because they need more than the asana practice because asana is not the full practice for them so this is where the breathing works comes in pranayama when you start to get into pranayama naturally you start to feel a lot, lot more different about things happening around you you become more sensitive so i think so you think if you if you if you're excellent in the practice is that enough if you're not <laughs> i think i always follow i always believe that a, a non flexible student uh, can be a better practitioner than a flexible student and this approach was given to me long time back by sharaji's mother saraswati maji so once i think in a conference or somewhere i think i was next to her and she was speaking this is from 2010 or 11 i think 10 probably so she said that um, a stiff student is a is a much better student than a flexible one which is i've seen with my students that um, you slack when you're flexible because you think you can do tomorrow and you can have access you don't lose your flexibility and all this but a uh, stiff student always know that he has to work without working he's not going to get um it won't be completed for him so i think and i've seen personally a lot of experiences uh, a lot of exposures to people when i've come across that that this this statement holds its meaning to a larger extent One final question. Do you find that um, the context of yoga is lost a little bit from a non-Indian perspective when we're not understanding? I mean, I always felt that you come to it from understanding of puja, from understanding of the ritual and the way that yoga as a, as a system is a part of it. And then it comes over here, you know, uh, uh, say over here, uh, outside India, and it's taken within the, the cultural context that we understand, which doesn't have any other framework around it. is so it's then just taken on as a system or a value judgment system taken on the physical ability only uh, do, you, do you find that there's a trouble in its translation now as it spreads as it evolves for sure i mean um, because when even in yoga that not everyone takes yoga so seriously but uh, there are different forms that in all the religions in india whether they are practicing yoga or not yoga but they've been taught to devote to god whichever religion they belongs to or whichever uh, 
family they come from so they've been taught to bow to someone if and this is how gradually you start to accept that there's a higher power above you now when we start to practice yoga we start to uh, i think either feel it more that because you start to see that you're very limited as a human being and then you start to ex- you 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 become more sensitive through the practice through the yoga practice having said that when this uh, practice starts to travel abroad when i go abroad i see similar things but uh, no one to blame because this is the part of the culture they they born brought up with or they grew up in so they see that this is not their culture or this is not so they look at it only as a physical aspect first but i have noticed that personally noticed that uh, to some not for everyone to a, to a good number of people this aspect changes the more deeper they get into asana practice so through right. the aspect, the asana right gradually does the job of of giving them a more devoted attitude to to something other than their own body yeah because it breaks down the ego somewhere down the line because you feel sooner or later you're limited so you see that you cannot do everything not everything is in your hands and then you start to understand uh that okay there are things beyond this and then that's the point people start to explore more uh like me then people start to go travel to different places not only to seek out asana but then they start to seek out more that this is how they start mm. reading more about yeah it's kind of interesting you find that your your attitude or your your feeling about yoga has expanded since you've traveled outside india has it changed your uh, attitude to yoga i think i was it was always there but maybe i was not uh, i think it it enhanced more when i started to travel for sure but it was always there so because i was always um before the ashtanga practice i think if if i if i stayed with the hatha yoga branch uh, even what we practice is also uh, hatha but uh, in different tradition i would say asana based so i think i i, I would have been more uh, less of the asana oriented practice but more of uh, a balance of all the practices which i see the majority of the traditions are talking asana as a therapy rather than asana only as a pure asana based practice mm-hmm. uh but yes uh what i noticed that the indian government started its on uh, uh step where they started to uh made a indian yoga association and they started to write down all details about asanas and they have a specific website where anyone can go and find uh, information about what asana belongs where but i think the work is is not fully completed so i think it might be coming up soon so i think uh yes so more the ashtanga base is enough the i mean obviously we're talking ashtanga a system that is completely exclusively asana based yeah. should that be brought in outward should people be taught other other limbs along with these asanas or is the practice in itself going to do the job somewhere down the line I think the practice will do the job but I if uh, explore, if a student starts to explore more uh the the better they do it sorry the earlier they do it the better for them because then they start to understand how limited is asana practice 
if you only stick to asana practice it's very limited it's very very limited it may give you the sense uh, maybe 5 6 10 years down the line but you would lose all this time mm, mm. already start to find maybe information more about in your second year third year fourth year i don't say that this information has to work uh, it doesn't work right away you read atha yoga anushasanam the first part of uh, sutras uh, the first sutra but yoga starts now so of course you need to be disciplined you need to do a lot of things so then gradually when you go and in 195 yoga sutras the sutras which talk about asana practice barely three or four mm-hmm. you so try to understand that when the scriptures are talking this naturally then the limit uh, the asanas are not like as you cannot place full importance on the asana practice mm. do you have a particular scripture that you would recommend or you know i think that all all books whatever you read but i uh, this is what i was sharing with someone else that um, i since a lot of people in the west only read the western scholars i would say right. that you well, there are a lot of indian scholars who have who wrote very beautifully so i think it's always good to have a combination of east and west so which can give you uh, the picture of uh, or the picture of the same coin like two sides of the same coin so okay. it's always mm-hmm. knowledge or different opinion of someone else also okay all right just to round it up now and just to give a you know a kind of rounded idea of you outside yeah. of yoga um let us know what in, uh, just a silly couple of questions what inspires you and uh, what is a like a let's say a guilty pleasure that you have outside of yoga <laughs> guilty pleasure <laughs> i think uh, not reach to that guilt because everything i do i i don't be remorseful of something what i did so yeah, right, yes yeah yeah quite okay like don't know what is guilt in general but yeah uh and uh, what inspires me i think inspires everything inspires me i try to now now i'm a father so i, I see my son growing and that in that inspires me yeah, to be yeah. more more playful and uh, when i go out i i listen to i also listen to sadguru a lot i i kind of okay, knew yeah. knew of him long time back but i was not following much and then i start to read his books and uh, which starts to find a, a lot more uh, as everyone says that he puts a lot more logic into our indian customs to for a western yeah. mind so i start to so But that's the way he phrases it with the in his idea of in in engineering the well, kind of along the western lines isn't it yeah yeah it's quite interesting it's some small simple steps of your daily life which yeah. you which you become yeah. more aware and it can really help you to to be a better human being so i think it it does work so and people like him and there are i think you you can seek out ins- inspiration from anyone and everyone so yeah. that's what i would say and just to lower the tone a bit um kino told me recently that uh, when you first went to miami to see her she, uh, tim introduced you to cheese have you started enjoying uh, cheese now Uh, sorry team uh, team introduced me to a ah, cheese yes yeah. <laughs> yeah i think would that would say your guilty pleasure is that uh, you become <laughs> a cheese aficionado now yeah uh, a guilty pleasure in that sense would be only 
pizza if I enjoyed that. But I, yeah, but I'm not. I don't feel guilt because it's just a food. And yeah. uh, but the cheese is something. Yes, Tim. Tim was someone who introduced me to blue cheese and some different. Form. Yeah, though I just found it quite funny because they said in your face when they first gave it to you. They were. It was funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very surprised with the taste of it. Yeah. Because it's cheese is something which what I read later about it how how it's been made and how they do yeah, it. Yeah. India, we have more fresh cheese because yeah, in my yeah. So for me, it, of course, it was different, and the taste. Uh, he gave me blue cheese to start off with, so it was it was really bitter, and I did not understand because to me it's related to very of the Tamsik food in that context. So I, I did not understand like how someone can enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, w- once in a while I I have a sandwich, so which have. <laughs> then I I focus more and more on the live food, which has energy. So which so, but I think as uh, this is what from Sadhguru I was listening that anything you do by choice is better than by compulsion. But once in a while, if you enjoy something, you did something. If you ate something. Uh, as long as it's not a compulsion, it's okay. So you you did it by choice. So mm. I think this yeah. Yeah, mm. this uh, follow more often this one. Very good. Okay, Ajay. Um, thank you for joining me. Um, it's been a pleasure uh, to talk to you uh, after uh, you know a number of years, but we haven't spoken. Yeah. And um, yes, I hope yeah. to see you in the massive airport hangout at some point in the future. Yeah. Maybe we will do. And just keep me posted. We'll speak more. Okay. All right. Thanks very much. Thanks a lot.